The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Mackey and Steve Levy, presenting Book Three, World Well Lost. Every breath you take, written by Mercedes Mackey and Dennis Lane, read by Veronica Jagger. Victoria Victrix Naj felt as if someone had hit her in the head with a brick. The revelation was so sudden, and yet, so logical. It had struck her as she closed herself up in her office and begun tickling the firewalls of the various networked echo computers to see what she could get into. Their systems, of course, were severely compromised, as were most of the computer systems of the world. Great damage had been done in cyberspace by the Thulians. Inadvertent, but nonetheless real. Security systems were offline or damaged, There hadn't been new security updates for most software in weeks, and Echo was actually in better shape than many. But they were still compromised, which was why she had been able to hack into Tesla's datebook and personal scheduler as fast as she had a few days ago. Vicky's secret vice was hacking, and, of course, because of her talents and training, she had a few more tools at her disposal than even the most sophisticated geek, be he white hat or black. She was a techno-mage, which was a very rara avi indeed. She was one of only a handful that she knew of, and the only one that specialized in computers and computerized systems. A great many mages had a lot of trouble with technology, some to the point where things stopped working, or stopped working catastrophically around them. Not Vicky. She could do things that were not technically hacking to get in, should she need to. And it was clear that if she put her mind to it, she could get as deep into the ecosystem as she wanted right now. Or rather, as deep in as she had patience for, given the limits of her own system. Why, at this very moment, without much trouble, she could pull up the feeds for every single security camera they had, and if she worked at it, she could empty their personnel files. It would take a lot of work, though, and more storage space than she actually had she had thought to herself that it was a pity she couldn't do this to other people, instead of getting dragged out into the field. And that was when it hit her. The revelation of how she could be of real use to Echo, and not end up so sick with agoraphobia and panic attacks that she couldn't eat for days. More than that, the way she could, or so she hoped, prove to Red Savior that she was worth trusting. She scooted out of the Echo system, leaving herself a back door and went shopping. She was under the desk with a flashlight in her mouth and her hands full of tools when she heard Bella's key in the lock. She knew it was Bell, because she knew the sounds of all three deadbolts on her door, and she had only left the one Bella had a key to in the locked position. She dropped the flashlight and called out, I'm in here. Bella's footsteps marked her path to the office, then the sounds stopped at the doorway. Holy mother of pearl! Vicky finished making the last of her connections and emerged from beneath the desk, hair messed, nose smudged. She put the tools back where they belonged in the correct drawer in desk number four and surveyed her new kingdom. What had been a Spartan spare office? She had three bedrooms and she used the biggest for her writing office, with just the desk, her chair, and her admittedly very good hacking gaming PC. 
now looked like something out of a TV producer's idea of a CSI or CIA computer room. There were 12 identical flat-screen monitors, a server that would make a geek weep with desire, the kind of storage rack most big law offices would envy, and four of the best quad-core computers not available on the market. They were not available because the friend of a friend who had made them for her did not make these for money, only trading favor for favor. He was currently very happy with the favor he had gotten in return. He'd always wanted to see and verify with his own eyes real magic. Not metapowers. Real magic. Now he had. For most of his life he had lived with the haunting fear that the only thing that had made his hellish childhood bearable had been nothing more than a hallucination. Now he knew it had been real. He was not crazy. And suddenly there was a separating wound in his soul that could heal. But that was another story. Romances must pay well, Bella said dryly. Vicky shrugged. Well enough. When you never leave the house, there's not a lot to spend money on. She sat down in the brand new zero gravity chair. Since she was likely going to be in this thing for long stretches at a time, she had gotten the best. She put on the Featherlight Echotech headset and microphone, took a deep breath, and hit the switch. All twelve monitors came to life, and the room filled with the hum of computer equipment coming online and testing itself. Quickly. Very quickly. The plain blue screens began to switch to other things as her systems booted up, but right now, there was only one picture she wanted to see. Her fingers flew over the keyboard as she used her back door into the ecosystems. She got to the sysadmin screen, which asked for a password. Now she moved her right hand to the Ouija board planchette next to the keyboard, mentally detached her hand from her own control, triggered the spell, and picked out the word with her left hand as her right spelled it out. Technomagecraft. The system knew which password it wanted. The screen image knew which password, as a combination of letters and numbers, was the one most often tried, which would be the right one, because the ones that failed, due to mistyping or other hacking attempts, would not be tried again, or at least not with the frequency that the correct one was. Her spell linked her to the screen image, to the system behind the screen image, and let her hand pick out the right sequence on the Ouija board. This was the law of contamination at work. It would be even faster if she had some personal object belonging to the sysadmin. As it was, it was no more than a minute. And she was in. As Bella watched in utter fascination, she worked her way through directories and subsystems until she found the one she wanted. Feed to Alex Tesla's desktop. Once again, Planchette gave her the password, and she was in. This time it was faster. She had Alex's hair and she took it over. A few keystrokes, and his camera was activated. A few more, and so was hers. He stared at her, or rather at his monitor, with startled eyes. In the monitor to the right of the central one, Vicky's solemn face appeared, a reflection of what he was seeing. Good afternoon, Mr. Tesla, she said, and smiled. Behind her, Bella stifled a chuckle as he jumped. Who? Who the hell are you? He asked hoarsely. 
And what are you doing in my computer? My name is Victoria Victrix, and I am one of your Echo Ops, she replied, keying up her own file and causing it to appear in a new window in the bottom left of his screen. As you can see there, that's my file. You met me with Red Savior and Belladonna Blue in your office a few days ago. I was the one with all the papers and the information. Strange. Now that she was here, physically here in her safe place, the place where she was in control, she felt as assured, as cocky even, as her old long-ago self had been. Small wonder he hadn't recognized her. As to what I am doing, I am giving you a little demonstration. Not just of how I can get into the Echo computers, but how I can get into a great many other places as well. Name a place. Any place. Uh, New Orleans. Café du Monde. Her fingers flew. A new window opened, while one of the left-hand monitors came to life. In the new window, a grainy black-and-white feed of the Café du Monde appeared from an odd angle. Traffic cam at the stoplight, she said, as the same feed appeared in her new monitor. Then the scene changed, directly across the street from the famous home of Beignets. Security cam in the ATM across the street. Last of all, a view from inside the cafe, partly blocked by a large young man frowning at something. Camera in the laptop of Daniel Soleil, a stockbroker, currently on his lunch break and using the Wi-Fi hotspot. Silly man, doesn't even have a firewall. I'll show you what he's surfing if you like. No, no, Tesla exclaimed, and she slid out of Daniel's PC as easily as a fish swimming through a kelp bed. That's fine. He took a deep and visible breath. You're one of my people, which means you've passed a lot of rigorous security checks. I realize that especially at the moment the ecosystems aren't as secure as we'd like. Is that what you're trying to prove to me? Or is it something else you want? Did you want to be moved to the computer systems group? Why are you showing me this? What I want... She hesitated a moment. Let's take the last question first. I am showing this to you to prove to you that I can do what I say I can. And what I want... She gazed solemnly into her own camera. What I want is to be Echo's all-seeing eye for select teams. Not the ones patrolling or handling calls, but the ones doing covert work. Your guardian angel. Your invisible guardian angel. She managed something that was not quite a laugh, but would pass for one. I can be with your chosen field team, assisting them, feeding them information, warnings, accesses. He nodded. Like something out of a spy movie. A lot like that, she replied. Sometimes I will even be able to disable alarms and unlock doors remotely. This isn't just computer hacking, Mr. Tesla. This is magic-based computer hacking. There isn't anyone in your organization that can do this. I want to be a full and valuable op, but I also want to make you never ask me to leave my house again. She took a deep breath. What I want, sir, is nothing more and nothing less. Now give me a team. Give me a test. In the monitor, Bulwark tried on his headset. 
Jeannie had already gone somewhere out of sight to remove the red wrappings that swathed his head, neck, and shoulders, and put the headset on underneath. This is rather melodramatic, isn't it? He asked. I can cue the Mission Impossible theme if you want melodrama, Vicky replied. Bulwark was looking into the security cam of what was laughingly called the briefing room on the Echo Campus. Laughingly because, just like about everything else there at the moment, the room was in a portable office building trucked to the site. How comfortable is that? Very, Bulwark replied, which was pretty much as Vicky expected. The Echo Tech headsets were hardly enough to warrant the name, and practically invisible. They should be. They were what some of the higher-level ops had used in the pre-invasion days on their crime-fighting sessions. I've never needed to use one of these before. Is this thing on? Jeannie did not appear in the monitor, but Vicky hadn't expected him to. As soon as you put it on, yeah, she replied. Here's the fast tour, full disclosure, Jeannie. You're on an Echotech comm unit, one each. It's powered by you, uses your body heat. I can't actually see you unless you are in view of a camera I can tap. I can't see what you're looking at unless you also wear the mini camera that goes with the headset. Yes, it has something like a GPS so you can be tracked with it. That's so I know where you are so I can scout for you by using security cams in whatever area you're in. Right now you're on an open feed so you can hear and be heard by the whole team. You can elect to talk to only your team leader and you and I can also talk privately. She knew where he was going to go with that before he opened his mouth. So, does that mean you want to talk dirty to me, Victrix? She was in her safe place, and it wasn't the fear-paralyzed neurotic that answered him. That'd be five cents a word, and my agent would get 15%, Janie. I don't think you can afford my rates. Bulwark's mouth twitched, and his eyebrows arched. While he took a moment to be amused, Vicky switched to private mode on the genie's pickup. I know what's going through your head. It runs on your body heat and the kinetic energy generated by movement. Do the math. You can just shut it off by taking it off or making it cold or just doing your shifter thing and giving it no heat. But remember if you shut it off, that means not only won't we know where you are, it means I can't help you. This isn't another control thing, I just want to be your eyes in the sky. Before Bulwark could notice, or Jeannie respond, she switched back to open channel. And most of Echo isn't going to need the system, only the people going covert. She wasn't entirely certain why she had told Jeannie how he could disable his system. Maybe it was honesty. Maybe it was because she knew from his new Echo file how much he hated having a leash on him. If he saw it as a lifeline rather than a leash, if he was in control of it, maybe he'd be less inclined to dump it. Which would be you, obviously. Jeannie still wasn't going to like this, but he would probably put up with it. She hoped. Bulwark's mouth twitched again. Maybe you ought to queue up the Mission Impossible theme, then. Um, I don't know about that, Bull. Jeannie drawled, in a tone of voice that practically promised trouble. I think the first thing we should do is take in a little entertainment. Jeannie and Bulwark settled into the cramped and primitive passenger seats of the Echo Cargo Craft. 
The sight of those skeletal contraptions in Bull's headcan made Vicky's back ache with sympathy. As they were strapping their gear down and themselves in, she gave in to a whim. Welcome to Echo Atlantic City Flight 211, she said in her best stewardess voice. Please stow your carry-ons under the seat or whatever looks most like an overhead bin. There is no meal or beverage service, but feel free to scavenge for whatever crumbs or dropped items might have been left by previous passengers. Your in-flight entertainment will be me. In the event of an emergency, figure out where is a good place for an exit because that's where you'll be putting one. In the event of a water landing, this thing floats about as well as a boat flies. If the cabin depressurizes, it will be important to know how long you can hold your breath because it will take the pilot 93 seconds to drop to breathable altitude. If the passenger next to you is a child or acting like one, feel free to cold cock him. At the conclusion of the flight, please stow your flight attendant in the upright locked position. Thank you for flying Echo Airlines. After a moment of surprise, Bulwark barked a laugh, and even Jeannie unbent enough to make a sound that might have been a chuckle. I meant that about the in-flight entertainment, she added. You two got any preferences music-wise? Tell you've got it, Jeannie grunted. She smiled to herself and gazed fondly at the five-terabyte storage stack that was music only. Try me, she challenged him. The White Stripes, he said, smugly. Stump the DJ, huh? She queued up the album Get Behind Me, Satan, and sat back. In the window that showed Jeannie's head cam, she could see Bulwark's face. He looked pained. She switched the feed to Jeannie's personal frequency and queued up Miriam Stockley for Bulwark. His eyes registered surprise, then amusement. He closed them and settled back into the dubious comfort of the seat. This might not suck, was all Jeannie said. The rest of the flight was passed in silence from both of them. The target was in Atlantic City, and, as was to be expected, considering that this was a petty criminal, the target was not in a nice part of Atlantic City. Vicky ignored the buttonhole cams for the most part, as Jeannie and Bulwark took their rented beater past the new casinos and the Triumph Tower, and all of the rest of the frenetic blitz, tracking them by the innumerable security cams, getting used to switching from cam view to cam view. She had an ace in the hole if she lost them, two of the more elaborately folded spell packets plugged in via USB cables. The bit of bulwark had been easy. She asked for a couple hairs, told him why, and he obligingly gave them to her. Jeannie, however, was not someone she wanted to approach for a sample, and he was surprisingly careful. She had resorted, at last, to Jensen, bulwark superior. Jensen didn't like Jeannie. Jensen would do everything he covertly could to put Jeannie back behind bars. And Jensen didn't know her from Adam. So using her old FBI credentials, she'd gotten Jensen to get her something of Jeannie's when he and Bulwark were out on a recruitment. Something personal. And what Jensen had brought her were books. The Count of Monte Cristo and Franny and Zoe. The former was marked with margin notes and tiny precise script. Both were paperbacks so often read that the covers were soft. She photographed the notes and took tiny scrapings from the covers of both, then had Jensen return them to their proper places. She hadn't studied the notes, but the scrapings on one of the note pages were in Jeannie's packet. It wasn't only that she wanted an arcane way to track them. 
It was that she couldn't work actual magic for them at that far distance without a magical connection to them. The books themselves, the fact that they were something he read over and over, said a lot about the man. Add to that the notes. She was not sure she wanted to know that much about him. Well, right now, as they drove deeper into the seedier part of Atlantic City, it was moot. Where exactly are we going? Bulwark asked, as Jeannie finally parked the car in front of a boarded-up storefront. I told you, we're going to take in a little entertainment. The glee in Jeannie's voice made Vicky close her eyes and count to ten. He was going to try to do something to punish her for this. Never mind that what she was doing would be useful and might even be life-saving. You have bogeys at your eight o'clock, she said softly, as the security cam in the parking lot showed her movement behind them. She zoomed and clarified the image as much as she could. Three males, large weapons. I see pipe and a baseball bat. Jeannie moved. Fast. He was beside the three before they had finished reacting to the fact that he was moving. Hello, boys, he said genially. At first roll. The widest of the three cursed and started to swing. The tallest grabbed the pipe before it had moved more than a few inches. Yeah, bro. Stroll. Fresh air, good for you. Jeannie nodded. So they tell me. Well, you boys keep on strolling. And then he was back with Bulwark before they could blink. Preventative action? Bulwark asked Riley, as Vicky's sophisticated sound analysis picked out most of what the would-be muggers were saying. The first started to swear at the second. The second silenced him. What's a meta, you idiot? You want to mix it up with a meta? Something like that. Jeannie was unwrapping his face. There. Anything showing? In Bulwark's camera view, Jeannie was wearing a face she hadn't seen before. It might have been pleasant if it hadn't been marred by a couple of scars. He evidently wasn't going to bother with a hairpiece this time. She looked for the throat mic, the wire for the earpiece, and realized with a shock he'd grown skin over them both to conceal them. Oh, smart. No, nothing, she replied. Not even a lump. Good. Oh, she didn't like that grin. All right, Jarhead, let's go take in the nightlife. The seedy-looking bar he was heading for was the only establishment showing any signs of life on the street. She already had a sinking feeling, and when the sign managed to flicker on long enough for her to read Gentleman's Club, she knew what he was planning to do to try and shock her. She shook her head as they paid the cover charge and passed the bouncer, emerging into a barely lit room throbbing with pounding music. There was a runway-type stage with three poles, a very limber girl with patently artificial enhancements was twined inelegantly around one of them. Jeannie sat down at a table near the stage, right in front of the middle pole, and ordered a beer. Bulwark did the same. I hope that girl didn't pay too much for those bazookas, she said dryly in their ears. In ten years they're going to be hard as rocks and she can rent them out as paperweights. Bulwark almost choked, but covered it nicely by turning it into a cough. Meanwhile, Vicky was doing her job, seeing if the club's security cams were running on wireless. They were. 
Within moments, she had them all. Eight wireless camps, she said. Four in the main stage, one in each of two private rooms, one in the office, and one in the dressing room. In the main stage area, you have one in each corner. They have fisheye lenses, so there's not a lot of blind spots. There's two people in the office, none in the private rooms, and four more girls in the dressing room. Besides the bouncer at the door, there's another one down behind the DJ, and the bartender has a sawed off at each end of the bar. Jeannie gave the slightest of nods to show he heard. The girl with the artificial chest untangled herself from the pole. Let's give it up for Brandy, said the DJ with staged enthusiasm to a spattering of bored applause. And let's hear it for Kara Kane. The replacement was met with some real response. It was easy to see why. If her boobs had been pumped, it had been by someone who knew what he was doing. She was long-legged and long-haired and looked like a head cheerleader that you just knew was as active under the bleachers as in front of them. She was also a much better dancer than Brandy, who was making the rounds of the tables until she found someone who would buy her a drink. The new girl was concentrating on her dancing, right up until she switched poles to the one that Jeannie had parked in front of. As she finished her first swing around it, she got a good look at him. Her eyes widened. In recognition? If so, Jeannie gave no sign other than tucking some bills into her G-string, much to Bulwark's discomfort. And she didn't linger at their pole, but she didn't hurry the routine up either. But when her place had been taken by a woman who looked and danced as if she ate men alive on toast, Kara Kane managed to sidle her way straight to Jeannie's table, without looking as if that was what she was doing. Hey, handsome, she purred breathlessly, planting one hip on the table and bending over so that her chest was just about eye level. Buy a girl a drink? Actually, my friend and I were looking for a private dance, darling. Jeannie drawled before Bulwark could say anything. Think that can be arranged? You just follow me, she replied. What the hell? Jeannie, growled Bulwark over the channel. Just what do you think you're doing? Come on, Jarhead, Jenny said genially, slapping Bulwark on the shoulder and propelling him forward into the private room. Time for you to loosen up and have some fun. Kara closed the door. In a remarkably short period of time, Jeannie was in a chair, she was grinding her pelvis into his lap, and her natural endowments were filling the screen in Jeannie's button cam. Jeannie, what the hell is going? Say hello to Miss Naj, Kara, Jeannie said in a throaty whisper. Right now, she's got the best seat in the house. Vicky was aghast. Jesus, Clooney Frog, she sputtered. You just want to go out and announce to everyone that you're wired? Jeannie chuckled. Just Kara, or actually Miss Barbara Cronstein, to use something besides her stage name. This is our target, Victrix. Jeannie, this is you, right? The girl's tone of desperation was at complete odds with the way she was dancing. Jeannie, I can't believe you just showed up. It's like you knew I needed help. Jeannie, you've got to get me out of here. 
Bulwark interrupted. Victrix. Audio? She'd already checked. These guys were cheap. Nothing. No audio monitor in this room. But tell her to keep dancing. The camera is hot and the guys in the back are watching. Eyes in the sky, darling. Keep making the customer happy. Tell me what's going on and give him a show. Bull? Pull out that stack of bills. As long as there's money on the table, they'll leave us alone. She pulled her long hair on the top of her head and shimmied. Vicky opted to watch the other cam feeds. There's this creepy guy. Her voice was strained. He bought into the club about six weeks ago, right after the invasion when no one was coming in and Jimmy really needed the money. Now he's here all the time and... Jeannie... There was an edge of panic in her voice. Jeannie... I think he knows about me. He keeps dropping hints about my talent and how he knows the better use for it. It's not the regular kind of come on. Black Snake. Bulwark asked, alarmed. This isn't their approach. They just come in and make a direct offer. Jeannie replied, sounding remarkably detached for a man with a pair of mammaries a centimeter from his nose. Besides, I know the recruiter. Who that? Kara leaned back and did a belly dancer type undulation. He kind of slipped once. He sounded German. Oh, hell no. What is it you actually do, miss? Bulwark asked carefully. That's what I don't understand, she said plaintively, as she somehow did a fast reverse on Jeannie's lap and the memories changed places with a shapely derriere. It's nothing... weapony. I just turned sound into light. This time it was Vicky's turn. Oh, hell no, she said aghast. A pocket amplifier? Or a convenient source of a lot of sound, Bulwark agreed grimly. At just that moment, on one of the main stage cameras, Vicky caught sight of something that set all her alarms ringing. A man had just come in, and the bouncer was showing him deference. Quickly she froze a half-dozen frames as he turned, and ran them through her facial recognition program. The answer set her nerves on fire. Oh, bloody hell, no. Bull, Jeannie, get out of there now, she snarled, fingers flying over the keyboard to look for exits. Your girl's mystery date is out in the main stage area, and I am pretty sure it's Doppelganger, because whoever he is, he's wearing Doc Bootstrap's face. Bulwark was quicker at remembering what kind of an asset she was than Jeannie. Exits. Checking. She called up the plans from the last health and safety inspection, and meanwhile she started futzing the feet on the cameras. All of them, to put off suspicion for a few precious moments. She told the wireless signal to drift, on her monitor, she could see the feed start to get static. Out the front, the way you came. Both bathrooms have a window big enough to squeeze through if you break it, but take the women's if you have a choice. The girls have their own, and it's likely to be empty. Fire exit directly left as you exit the room. Roof access? Pop the panel in the center of the room you're in. It's a hard ceiling. Crawl ten feet south, and there's a hatch. Don't leave me, Kara begged. She froze on Jeannie's lap. Tell her to keep dancing. 
I'm screwing with her feed, but it'll take a minute. Keep dancing, darling. We're working on something. In the office camera feed, which was, of course, also starting to snow out, she could see one of the men hitting his security monitor with the flack of his hand. You can't take the chance that Doppelganger can recognize you, Ball, Jeannie was saying. The monitor feeds went to pure static. If you're gonna go, go now, she urged. The cams are down, but if they're smart, they'll have it fixed in a second. The fire exits a mechanical alarm. I can't shut it off. Split up, suggested Bulwark. You take the girl, I'll make the noise. Jeannie nodded. Ruth, you get the car if you can. See you back at the airport. Bulwark headed for the bathrooms. Jeannie pushed Kara off his lap and climbed into the chair. The buttonhole cam got confused, then dark, then there was dim light as Jeannie popped the roof hatch. Bulwark's cam was more straightforward. In through the door marked dames, he did something, and an invisible force punched the window frame and all out of the wall. Then he was out and running down the dark alley, heading for the parking lot and the car. Jeannie wasn't wasting time with finesse or niceties. He sprinted to the edge of the roof, tossed the girl down into a dumpster, followed her, tossed her over the side to the ground, and tumbled on himself, picked her up in a fireman's carry, and sprinted down the alley. The monitors in the club all came back to life. The men in the office were just now realizing the men and the girl were gone from the room. Doppelganger was shoving his way towards the back. He must have heard Bulwark punching out the window. You're going to get pursuit in a few seconds, she warned. Meanwhile, she was calling up everything she could for both men. Bulwark, your car's been jacked. A city bus is approaching the lot. Get on it. They'll never look for you there. In Bulwark's cam, she could see the bus. No one would think twice about a man running to catch it. The driver must have had a modicum of heart. He stopped and waited. Bull got on, dropped change into the fare box until it beeped, and threw himself into the nearest seat. The bus pulled out. Vicky switched her attention to Janie. Right, she said, just as the monitor showed Doppelganger in the private room. He looked up, his face contorted in a snarl. He leapt like a cat, presumably caught the edge of the open trap, and pulled himself out of sight. Left. DG is on your tail. She tried to remember what the file said on DG. From what she'd seen, he was fast. Very fast. No way of telling if he had some enhanced senses way of tracking Jeannie, but best to assume he could. She thought frantically. If he caught them... Left again. She had them on the map. With a sudden burst of inspiration, she called up the utilities map and layered it underneath. Yes! There. Left and left again. What are you... Stop! She grabbed Jeannie's packet to connect herself and him, gathered power, and the earth opened beneath his feet and swallowed them both. Jeannie had wrapped the girl in his coat. It didn't cover much, but it was better than just a G-string in the storm sewer that Vicky had dumped them into. He was muttering under his breath. She was exhausted. It took a lot of power to operate at that much of a distance. That power had to come from somewhere. In this case, since she'd had no time to prepare, it had come from her. Next right, she said. Then go up the ladder. The manhole's in the alley behind the Triumph Tower. Bulwark is waiting right at it with a car. She hadn't just dumped them the twenty feet down into the sewer. She'd made sure to give them a ramp. 
and it was a storm sewer, not a sewage outlet. She'd close the earth up after them, too. Fifteen feet of dirt should be enough to confuse even the keenest of metasenses. And she'd been watching their trail in above-ground cams the whole way. There'd been no sign of Doppelganger. Bulwark had been able to get another car without a whole lot of trouble after he'd reported the first one stolen, and she'd given him directions to the nearest place she could bring Jeannie and the girl out. We're here, Bull. Bulwark pried at the manhole cover. Jeannie helped the girl start up the ladder, then stopped. Private mode, he growled. Too tired to question or argue, she switched. That was magic, he said, in a very flat tone of voice. Yes, she matched his tone. The string of curses that followed left her wilting in her chair. If you ever do something like that to me again... He paused, then left the sentence unfinished. You coming, or sightseeing? Bulwark called down the hole. Without another word, Jeannie climbed up. He didn't say another word to her after that. Not when Kara, or Barbara, thanked her. Not when Bulwark said in a warm tone of congratulations. Good work, Operative Victrix. Not when she queued up more music for him for the return trip. He talked to the girl. He even talked to Bulwark. But he ignored her presence as if she didn't exist. Just after touchdown, he got up and moved out of sight. When he came back out, he was wearing his wrappings, and he had the throat mic and earpiece in hand. He dropped both in Bulwark's lap, detached the button cam from his coat, added that, and walked out. Terminating Link now, said Vicky. She shut the rig down, took the spell packets and filed them in the box of others, and left the room turning off the lights. She was too tired to get any further than the living room. Bulwark would definitely greenlight this. Jeannie could sit and rotate. His opinion wouldn't count. But now it hit her. Those girls. She sat down hard on the sofa and cried bitterly, her face in her gloved hands, crying until the gloves were soaked and her eyes were sore. Not one of those girls could they see what she really looked like, would trade their lives for hers. The handful of people who had seen had been unable to control their revulsion. She would never again have the things that they took so much for granted that they didn't even think about. People looking at them with pleasure. Men wanting to touch them without a second thought, or indeed any thought at all. Sun on their bare skin. Beautiful, unmarred skin. Feeling where they were touched. It took a tremendous effort of will, once she had stopped weeping to get up off the sofa, to go into the dark bathroom, strip off the gloves, bathe her face in cold water, and find another pair of gloves and pull them on again. But Will was what a magician was all about. Regardless of what she was, she had skills that were needed. She went back into her oversight room and fired everything back up again, checking the time. Not a moment too soon. She switched to an entirely different set of comm frequencies. Reading me, Bella? She asked, pleased that her voice was not too hoarse. Five by five, came the cheerful voice. Video input coming online now. A room in CCCP HQ appeared in the live cam monitor. 
a room that was to the one she sat in what the radio room of the Titanic was to the comm room at the average supertanker. But it was what the CCCP had, and there was her counterpart, looking frail and wide-eyed, the tall, stork-like Gamayun, just now putting on a headset of her own. She asked. The woman nodded her head, a dark forelock falling in one eye. Gamayun replied. I think we're ready to rock and roll. Bella moved, and the camera viewpoint proceeded down a hall, around a corner, and into Red Savior's office. Sto? Savior asked, the essence of impatience. What silly toy are you having to show me now that Echo thinks we are meeting? Not a toy. And not Echo, Comrade Commissar, Bella replied. A little something Comrade Victrix cooked up that I'm going to demonstrate for you. Ready, Vic? Vicky's gloved fingers flew over the keys of her computer. Once again, it was magic time. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by authors Mercedes Lackey, Steve Libby, Cody Martin, and Dennis Lee, read and produced by Veronica Chiguerre, featuring music by Antara Bay, investigating the Phantom Signal, courtesy of MusicAlley.com.